This is How Sound from PRX, the public radio exchange. Hi, Rob Rosenthal here. I'm a freelance radio producer, and I'm the lead instructor at the Transom Story Workshop. I also host How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. Reporter Chrissy Clark is my guest on How Sound, and apparently, Chrissy has a unique talent. She can change the weather. One time, Chrissy went to report on a drought in the Imperial Valley in California. It rained. The day I got there, big thunderstorm raindrops started landing on my rental car windshield. (laughs) The same thing happened during a drought in Midland, Texas. Chrissy shows up. It snows. I'm just lucky. (laughs) Reporting on a drought seems like a fairly easy task. Interview the town managers, talk to folks from the water district, meet with a couple of residents or a business owner who uses a lot of water, and you're done, right? Oh, and be sure to record the sound of a sprinkler, or maybe record the silence where there once were some sprinklers running. Now you're done. But reporting on the drought in Midland wasn't quite that simple for Chrissy. For starters, she lives in Los Angeles, not West Texas, and she'll only have two days in the field. That's it, 48 hours to get the story and get it right. That means she's going to have to do a ton of planning before she goes, and there's a risk to this type of reporting that she needs to avoid. It's called parachute journalism. The risk of that is you don't actually really know what you're talking about. (laughs) You 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 fly in and you... You talk to whoever you stumble upon, but you don't really have a um, a, glo- a sort of a more global view of what's going on, or you don't have the context for it. So there were certain things that I did to try to guard against that. Chrissy will outline how she guards against parachute reporting after we listen to the story. Here's The Green Lawns of Texas by Chrissy Clark. It was produced for the podcast Freakonomics earlier this year. Last year, parts of West Texas experienced some of the worst drought conditions in modern history. The drought caused all kinds of problems, large and small. We sent reporter Chrissy Clark to Midland, Texas, to look into one problem that might have seemed small, but, no, it wasn't. Hi, I'm Chrissy Clark. I started in a neighborhood called Grassland Estates at the home of the Joneses. Mr. Jones, Mike, he's in the oil business. And then there's the Mrs. I'm Barbie Jones, and I'm housewife. And you are also the president of the... I am president of the Homeowner Association here in Grassland, uh, in Midland. As president of the Homeowners Association, Barbie Jones kind of sets the pace for the neighborhood. People actually try to keep up with the Joneses. And when you walk into her house, you discover it's quite a pace. The rooms are spotless, beautifully decorated, and the whole place smells like fresh baked cookies. Uh, Ten dozen peanut patties and Martha Washington balls and candy cane cookies. I do muffin tins for our neighbors for the holidays. Muffin tins are just the beginning of what is done for the neighbors around here. In West Texas, Barbie Jones says neighbors are serious business. Be neighborly. That's my big thing as the president out here. Just, Just be neighborly. Neighbors are nice. They bake cookies for each other. They do each other favors. But the other thing about neighbors? We're pretty competitive. Um, 
the vehicles we drive, the clothes we wear, the stores that we shop in. And especially that status symbol of all status symbols, according to pretty much anybody you ask. A lush, well-manicured lawn. Lush, beautiful lawns. Lush, green lawns. Green, lush spaces. In grassland estates, as the name might suggest, lawns are a very big deal. But not just there. It turns out that the lawn obsession in West Texas has deep roots. The people that, that came here wanted to make it look homey. That's Steve Thorpe. He works for the city of Midland. He oversees the Code Enforcement Department. Originally, Thorpe is from Michigan. And in fact, a lot of people around here are originally from somewhere else, from other parts of Texas or other parts of the country. Most came here for one thing, the oil underneath Midland and the booming economy it's fueled for a very long time. But when people get here, the place is always kind of a shock. We're very flat. We have miles of mesquite and buffalo grass and all the the stuff that comes with the oil industry, um, pumping units and and wells being drilled. We don't have real pretty stuff on the ground. In fact, it's so unpretty, Thorpe says, that when he agreed to take a job here to move himself and his wife out from Michigan, the guy who hired him gave him some advice. He said, fly her in at night, don't bring her during the day. We don't want her to see what this place looks like. And Steve says generations of husbands and wives have been dealing with the same thing. If the husband came here in the, after World War II and, and took a job in the oil industry and you know decided to bring his wife and family from the East Coast, they wanted him to make it feel home. And consequently, that's how we've got these very lush green yards that are not appropriate. They've adapted to West Texas, but we're trying to create greenery in the high desert. And that has recently posed a teeny tiny little bit of a problem. As the mayor of Midland, I would like to take a moment and inform you about the drought contingency plan. That's the mayor of Midland, Wes Perry, speaking in the summer of 2011. He was making an announcement that ended up turning Midland and its neighbors on their heads. But before we get to what he said, you need to understand why he said it. You may remember that in 2011, Texas was suffering from one of the worst droughts on record. The landscape was so parched, cattle were starving. Squirrels and skunks were starving. Wildfires were everywhere, and they would burn so hot, once they consumed the vegetation, the dirt would go up in flames. I met a talk show host at a local radio station, Robert Hallmark, and he told me... You are just in a dust bowl. I mean, it it looks like a scene out of Star Wars all the time out here. And then there were the lakes. They were so dry and so low. They are finding things in these lakes. Old cars. They, they found an old cemetery. I think they found a piece of the space shuttle that blew up over Texas. Two of the three reservoirs that Midland relied on for water have already dried up. And the last one is predicted to be dry by next winter, if things don't get better. The city's been looking into many things, desalination plants, using treated wastewater for drinking water. They've restricted the amount of water public parks can use and schools. But the one thing that caused the most trouble was this decision that the mayor of Midland announced in the summer of 2011. Businesses and residents who consume city water may only water outdoors two times per week. Of course, water restrictions really meant one thing, no more. Lush, well-manicured lawns. Lush, green lawns. Green, lush spaces. 
And that's when life in the neighborhood started to change. At first, in ways you might expect, there was a lot of grumbling about the new water rules. Sarcastic jokes. News Talk 550 KCRS. You can still turn it on every day. Robert Hallmark, the radio host, says people started looking for creative loopholes to get around the restrictions. It was a favorite topic on his show. We jokingly had a good time about the slip-and-slide rule. I was about to say slip-and-slide sales have gone up tremendously. Oh, baby, I'm telling you. The slip-and-slide rule was that you could operate a slip-and-slide in your front yard for the kids anytime you wanted to. Now, you know as well as I do, the slip-and-slide is nothing but just, you know, a water hose with holes in it that is just pouring water out into the, into the lawn. Now, the rule was, though, that kids had to be sitting there playing on the slip and slide. So we determined how much it would cost to hire kids to stand in your yard in a bathing suit and just so you could water your yard. There's some outlandish things people will do to try to get around the rule. Like this. I think it was like 5 o'clock one morning. That's Carlos Cortez. And uh, we're driving, just going down that block. Cortez works for Odessa, the city next to Midland, which around the same time also put in rules about how often you could water your lawn during the drought. To enforce the rules, the city formed a water patrol team that Cortez was on, and it was his job to go out on night sweeps to make sure people were following the rules. Their first night out, they were headed down a cul-de-sac when they spotted a shadowy figure holding a hose. And uh, you could see him. He was hiding behind the two houses, watering. We made a U-turn and came back around to see if, you know, so we can talk to him. And next thing you know, when we made the U-turn and came back around, we looked at each other like, uh, I mean, he wasn't there. He was just gone, you know. I mean, it's like when he saw the truck, apparently he just dropped his, his water hose and somehow we went around the, through the back gate and that was it, you know. So he, he was hiding. He was yeah. hiding from you guys. Not only hiding from us because he wasn't aware that we were running around through there. I think he was hiding away from the other neighbors. Why would he be hiding from the other neighbors? Here's where the plot thickens. Because once it became clear that rules alone weren't going to stop the citizens of West Texas from watering their lawns every day, local leaders in Midland and Odessa combine the rules with something else. Shame. It started innocently enough. In Midland, the city printed out yellow flyers, bright yellow, and circulated them. People were encouraged to put them on the doors of neighbors who were breaking the watering rules. In big letters, the flyers said, hello, neighbor, and then had little boxes you could check showing exactly what the neighbor was doing wrong. They cut on pretty quickly. You could tell those um, that were watering. That's Barbie Jones again, president of the Grassland Homeowners Association in Midland. Their yard still looked very nice. Too nice, really. You see, Jones, who had once been a champion of the well-watered, lush green lawn, had become one of the early adopters of this new drought-conscious trend. And if someone wasn't on board with that, she knew what to do. If you see someone not watering in accordingly, you know, that's not being neighborly. So it's better to go to them and say, hey, you're, you're not following the rules. It wasn't just the yellow, hello, neighbor flyers that encouraged this approach. Around the same time the flyers came out, the mayor of Midland came on that radio talk show to announce a new water violation hotline the city had set up. Robert Hallmark, the radio host, interviewed the mayor about it. Uh, we had him in the studio, and uh, 
and really he's, he was suggesting that, hey, if, you know, if your neighbor is not watering on the right day, then call the city and we'll go out and talk to them. And I'm saying, so you're asking people to turn on each other. And, and, and he didn't see it quite that way. He says, no, it's just a friendly reminder that we all are here together. I asked the mayor, Wes Perry, about this, and he admits he was wrong about the hotline. I'd call it a tattletale line. It, it was crazy. The mayor heard from some people who actually came to blows, fistfights over the rules. I mean, it's the Hatfields and McCoys going on. It, it was wild. Thank you for calling the city of Odessa Water Hotline. Odessa, Midland's neighboring city, had a tattletale line, too. If you have a complaint you would like to file, please leave the address, date, time, and issue after the tone. The voice behind that message is Andrea Goodson, though now she's been given another name. I was called the water Nazi. <laughs> the water Nazi. Which, I've been called worse, so I'll take water Nazi. <laughs> For a while, Goodson was getting all the water hotline calls funneled to her phone number. We were probably averaging easily a 1,000 or so a day, no problem. Um, That's a lot of phone calls. Yes, and, and people would be calling at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, my neighbor's watering, click. Okay. She showed me a log where they kept notes from the messages, flipped to a random day last fall, and started reading down the page. Water running down the street, waters all the time, watering during the mornings on Tuesday, watering with a hose, sprinkler head broken, water going down the street. Um, Andrea's co-worker, Darlene, peeked over the log and summarized. Water, 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 water. So this is starting to sound familiar, right? Like the story you heard earlier in the show about people stealing wood and crystals from the petrified forest, what it all comes down to is that people compare their own behavior to those around them. The mayor of Midland, Wes Perry, tells a story about how a few years ago, as the drought was starting, the city created a map to get a better picture of how much water different people were using in the city. The map went house by house. The highest water users were colored bright green. The lowest water users were colored dark brown. First thing you'd do is you'd go and look. You'd scan the map until you found your house. And then? Depending on what your neighbor was doing, if you were out of sync, you would immediately say something like, ooh, I gotta change my habits. So say you lived in a neighborhood where people didn't use a lot of water and most of the lots were colored brown. If you were too green, you would change direction. They'd say, I need to use less water. Exactly. But the other side would happen too. Say you lived in a neighborhood where people used a lot of water and most of the lots were green. If you were one of the only brown ones? You had some of those that said, oh, I guess I need to start using more water because everybody around me is... Perry says it was like a contagion. The amount of water a person thought he should use seemed to have less to do with his personality or how environmentally conscious he was. Instead, it had to do with how much the people around him were using. At the end of the day, we want to know that we're with a group. We're part of, we're not completely alone. Look at that. Oh, man. Right, look at that. Oh, yeah, he watered. One morning when I was in Midland, I went out on a water patrol with two of the city workers, Rick Arellano and Ponce Garza. Some people call them the water SWAT team. Go, go down the alley. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, even with snow on the ground, people are still watering. <laughs> what sense does that make? 
It almost never snows in Midland, but there'd been a freak snowstorm the day before we went out, which sadly didn't do much to help the overall drought situation. But Garza and Ariano had a hunch that even on a below-freezing day, with a couple inches of snow on the ground, some people would still be watering. We drove around some neighborhoods and stopped at some of the places you could tell had been watering. Garza got out to show me. See where, see where the sprinkler heads have already eaten away at the snow? Yeah, you're kind of like a forensic scientist. We try and do a little bit of everything. In an hour, they wrote up seven warnings of watering violations. Then we got to a part of town that looked familiar. This is Grassland. This is where Barbie lives on this street. I wanted to check up on the president of the Grassland Homeowners Association, Barbie Jones. I wanted to check up on the Joneses. I want to drive by her house and see her. I have no idea. I fumbled around for the address, and we found the place. How does it look, guys? Looks looks dry. Looks dry. She's doing a good job. That's Marketplace reporter Chrissy Clark in Midland, Texas. You're listening to How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling from PRX, the public radio exchange. I'm Rob Rosenthal. We just heard The Green Lawns of Texas by Chrissy Clark. Chrissy's full-time gig is being a senior reporter at Marketplace. And what we just heard was a freelance piece she did on the side for the podcast Freakonomics. The producers at Freakonomics read about water management issues and drought-stricken Midland, Texas, and asked Chrissy to produce a piece for an upcoming podcast. But being from Los Angeles, not Midland, Chrissy needed to make sure that by the time she touched down for only two days in Midland, she could get the story and guard against the pitfalls of parachute journalism. One of those pitfalls is regurgitating a story that's already been told in the local press. Exactly. And who who needs that? <laughs> we don't, that doesn't help anybody. So as part of her preliminary research, Chrissy called sources already quoted in the papers. And I would try to use that as a jumping off point, but then just ask them as many questions as I could think of that sort of got beyond that. And then little stories would come up or they would make reference to people. I would say, oh, can you give me that person's phone number too? So then you sort of, you know, the network starts to branch. And so then I talked to many, many more people. These sorts of phone calls are known as pre-interviews. You're trying to get a sense of the story before you enter the field. You're listening to see if the person you're talking to is knowledgeable and if they're a good talker. And Chrissy says she listens for potential scenes, too. I try to just get a sense of what they do in their life and how they're doing it. And then that's and then I'm, I have my scene filter on. I'm trying to listen for any moments of action <laughs> that, that I might be able to see. Can I, can I come with you on that, on that action? When Chrissy gets on the plane to Midland, here's what she's got. A list of people to interview, a list of scenes, and a fairly good sense of what she thinks the story is. She could land in Midland and just go with what she already knows. But there again is that nagging risk of parachute journalism. So once she's landed, Chrissy is constantly seeking to understand where she is, what the place is like, and what the truth of the story is. I always sort of think of myself like a a vacuum cleaner. I'm just sort of like when I'm out in the field, I'm just sucking up just little observations and and stuff that I have no idea if it will be useful or not. But it's interesting to me in some way, and it takes me down another little path. Chrissy says she keeps a notebook with her and fastidiously jots down her observations. She also listens to local AM radio. I've lived in a fair number of 
small, non-metropolitan towns and cities in my life. And there's often really wonderful, local, colorful radio hosts. Um, And so I love just kind of getting a bead on what are the big issues that they're talking about and what they're outraged about and what, what their jokes are about. As you heard in the story, Chrissy even met up with a talk show host. Not only did she get good interview tape from him, he even gave her archive recordings to use in the story. Genius. In fact, I should mention that the talk show host was not on Chrissy's initial list of people to interview. She learned about him while she was in Midland. So along with all the planning and research before she arrives, Chrissy makes sure to leave time for chance, for serendipity. Catherine Boo has a great phrase where she calls it like the vagrant itinerant reporter approach where you really just sort of wander around for a while and just sort of talk to whoever you run into. And often those are the for one, it just gives you a feel for the place that you're in. And and for two, sometimes there's actually really useful revealing stories that come out of those conversations. In this case, I went to the mall and it turned out that none of the tape that I used when I hung out for two hours in the evening one night at the mall ended up in the story, but it helped me feel like it's sort of like a gut check. You know, it helped me. Some of the theories I was developing of 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 why people were annoyed by this, by these new policies or of what was going on or of, or or sort of anecdotes that I'd heard that I wanted to see if they were just totally random or if they, they had some if they seemed like maybe they had been repeated in other ways, it just gives you a good way of kind of doing some some like truth squatting on that stuff. To make the most of her slapdash 48 hours and avoid parachute reporting, Chrissy arrived with her research, a list of interviewees, possible scenes, a notebook, time set aside for luck. She's ready to report the story, right? Almost. Remember the snow I mentioned earlier? Snow was not part of any plan Chrissy had in mind, but that didn't stop her from reporting the story. It's good when those moments happen because what it does is, again, one of the risks of parachuting, of parachute reporting is that it's easy to sort of have the world match your expectations because you've, you've come and maybe you have done some research and you... Um, you know, you don't have very much time, so you want to sort of just have a pat story that fits with what you already thought it was going to be. But that's not reporting. <laughs> like That's exactly the opposite of reporting. Reporting is reporting back what you saw and what you and 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 observing. And it's easy to sort of turn off the observation um, sense when when you are pressed for time. So I think that those moments that throw everything off kilter and sort of make you make you get really off script are really good moments because then you have to actually be looking at the paradoxes and the contradictions and the the, the way the story really is unfolding, not the way that it's been reduced um, to sort of a simple ABC in uh, you know maybe a, the the one local news story that you saw that you're ba- that you thought you were kind of basing every all of your expectations on. Marketplace reporter Chrissy Clark. If we're lucky, maybe Chrissy will come back on How Sound and talk about her days at a pirate radio station in Santa Cruz. In the meantime, at the blog howsound.org, I put up a link to the full episode of Freakonomics that featured Chrissy's story. It's well worth the listen. Thank you. 
Not too long ago, a bunch of my students at the Transom Story Workshop posted their thoughts on how to report in a place you've never been to. They assembled some great tips on how to get to know a place and find stories. There's a link at the House Sound blog. This is How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. It's produced by PRX, the public radio exchange. You can feast your ears with a gazillion hours of radio stories at prx.org. Go to it. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. transom.org.